It is Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 368. I feel like I'm in an echo chamber. My name is Caleb Haig. And I'm still in the same place. Not an echo chamber. <laughs> I'm Rob Van Hoff. Good. Yes. Actually, you know, I'll tell you what I was thinking. Yeah, tell me. Wouldn't it be awesome? Uh, like if we had a wouldn't it be awesome if and then fill in the blank. Okay. Here's wouldn't it be awesome if yep. we had like all all the people who like listening to us chat and talk about the Bible and stuff, like in a huge like I'm imagining in huge crowds, right? It's like 36 people, maybe, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. But in a huge auditorium and on the bandstand, we have like a five, maybe seven piece horn section. We've got like a, a drummer who's just like in the pocket. Great bass player, guitar player, key, keyboard player. And what are they playing? Our intro song. <laughs> that's quite a that's quite a tale you have uh, weaved there, brother. Yeah, I'm thinking of the like, just we need to get like the Tower of Power horns or something like, and they can. I can't figure out why, but my camera is super fuzzy right now. That is annoying, isn't it? Ugh. I can't tell. It looks fine to me. Looks fine to you. All right, well. But you've got an eye for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's annoying me, and it's going to annoy me uh, continually throughout uh, throughout the entire show. That's okay. I and still... Caleb was continually annoyed. Yes, that was exactly. another verse I found in yes. the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> I can't, so I can't wait until I get some sound dampening in here. Right now, I feel like I literally feel like I'm in an echo chamber. But with that said, I am very grateful that I'm in this office. It's a, it's very nice to be at home. So. Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, if you want to be a part of the conversation, do so by giving us a call, 253-465-3205. You're not going to talk to us. You're going to talk to an answering machine. And we actually have some uh, some answering machine uh, people today, uh, which I forgot nice. to pull up. So I'm going to pull those people up uh, while we chat. Um, but you can also shoot us an email, cheg at torahresource.com, cheg at torahresource.com, and uh, do us a favor, go over to torahresource.com and find all of our uh, free resources, paid resources, find uh, all sorts of great stuff. I'm going to promote, let's see here, what should I promote? I think my favorite teaching on torahresource.com is my father's teaching on the new covenant, God's promise fulfilled. Go check it out. It's awesome. It's twenty four dollars for four. No, it's nineteen ninety nine. We we lowered the price. Think of that, nineteen ninety nine for four videos, and it is well worth every penny. You can also find an archive of every single one of these shows dating back to show number one. That was what three hundred and sixty eight shows ago, and uh, it's awful. So I wouldn't recommend starting with that one. Start around two hundred. <laughs> Uh, because everything before that is total garbage. Anyway, that's okay. Uh, we are we appreciate you listening. I wouldn't to them. Anyway, say I wouldn't say garbage, but you know what? there was that's some fun, fun ones. The Copper Scroll Project was was on the list for sure, and so was our so was our our interview with Brant Petrie. That was awesome. Okay, was best, that was that show. before show two hundred? I think that was show one sixty eight. I can oh, check. See if you if you would, that's oh, I believe it. Okay, I can check again. Um, and also don't forget to subscribe. If you have not hit the like button yet, please go ahead and do that now because it'll make this show way better. Every, uh, like button that is clicked actually makes us uh, like 1% better. So get us to like a thousand percent. Pardon me. All right. We got, uh, we got some to talk about. You want to talk? What's going on, man? How's life? Good. Grateful for just 
life. Yes. The grace of life that we have, you know, that, I mean, I mean, how crazy is this? You know, we're human beings made in God's image in his creation with, with hearts that want to sit at his feet, to learn from him, to seek him first in all things, to glorify him. And, and it's an adventure too, you know, as Seymour would say, that's crazy. Um, crazy. So yeah, I haven't seen Seymour in a while. I wonder if he's still around. I hope he is. All right. Um, okay. Let's, let's jump into it. Shall we? Let's let's. come out. Let's come out swinging. Let's come out swinging. We're going to start with a a difficult one. This is what everybody tuned in for anyway. Juan uh, writes in, he says this, he says, would you do a video on 1 Samuel 15? Now, I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about, 1 Samuel 15. I think that's a a wrong reference. I think he's What's he he asking about? In that video, would you also address the death of David's son after he sinned with Bathsheba? Include the text that says children should not die for their parents' sin. 1 Samuel 15. Yes, sir. I think that's That's, wrong. That's where Saul... 1 Samuel 15 is, is, yeah, that's where Saul is commanded to destroy uh, Amalek and... But but Saul doesn't. He withholds, and Samuel comes and says, "What up, homie?" That's that's <laughs> that's the, that's that's the, the ancient uh, translation. Yes, that's that's direct from the from the the, the Hebrew. Okay, yeah, go so on. I'm in trouble with our broadcast here. It looks like I'm frozen. Hmm. Let me uh, let me re let me re up my uh, my connection here. Are we not? Oh, we're broadcast. we're doing just fine. It says that we're broadcasting oh. just fine, and uh, but apparently my <clears throat> my internet is uh, having trouble, so I don't know what's going on. Okay. Anyway, okay. Um, so let's see here. Back to his email. He says this. He says, "Would you do a video on First Samuel 15?" That's not specific. Uh, so I think we're going to just have to skip First Samuel 15. If, if Juan wants to write in and, and tell us exactly what he's talking about um, uh, in, with respect well, to... Well, there's, there's only 35 verses. Okay. But still, that's a lot of verses. Yeah. So, well, that's what I mean. Like, uh, what? I, it almost sounds like he's assuming we know what he's talking about. So... Yeah, exactly. Th- there's a lot that we could talk about. Um, so, yeah, maybe... You're going to ask Juan to give us another shout of now. I now with that said, I'm going to I'm going to assume that's a wrong reference. And I'm what I'm going to what I'm going to assume here is that uh, he's actually talking about for Samuel 11 and 12. Um, and that would be when. Uh, Do you well, mean Second Samuel? Yeah, and see that. Yeah, that's, David and Bathsheba would be Second Samuel. Okay, that's what. Yeah, so I think that that's where he's going. So like 12, eleven and twelve. That's what we're going to talk about, whether or not that's what he's referring to or not. And if uh, Juan wants to write in and, and tell us, no, he meant you know, First Samuel fifteen, uh, then that'd be that'd be fine. But for right now, and this has been a source of annoyance for me. My computer software has not been uh, working, so I've been having to use Bible Gateway. It's <sighs> annoying. Okay, so um, second That's the time Caleb's been annoyed today. Used it's that. just a, it's an annoying day all around. So um, there's <laughs> that. Okay, so let's look at. I'm going to bring up my. I'm going to bring bring up my beloved note system now. 
Okay, cool. David's sin with Sheba seems to bring retribution from the Lord. And then I'm going to give you a quote, and this is a quote from a survey of the Old Testament by Hill and Walton. And they say, it may not be a coincidence that David decreed a fourfold restitution in 12, 6, 2 Samuel 12, 6. We'll read that in just a second. And that the ensuing no, narrative. it's the Torah. That's Torah. What are you talking about? Anyway, keep going. Sorry. I don't understand your comment. What do you mean that's Torah? Fourfold restitution for theft of a lamb. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. granted. I mean, if that's if that's what. But but hang on, listen to the entire co- comment. It may not be coincidence that David decreed a fourfold restitution in twelve six, and that the ensuing narratives eventually record the loss of four heirs to the right. throne of David: the child of Bathsheba in Second Samuel twelve, Amnon in Second Samuel thirteen, Abner, Absalom in Second Samuel eighteen, yeah. and Adonijah in First Kings or two. Adonijah, right. Um, and so in Second uh, Samuel twelve six, it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. This seems to go against the scriptures. And speak about this in Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen and Ezekiel eighteen twenty, which say, in order, uh, respectively, that... The fathers should not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Uh, the soul who sins shall, and then Ezekiel eighteen twenty. the soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I think uh, that this is what Juan is talking about. And so, okay, I need you to translate that. I mean, there was a lot there. What, and I, I couldn't tell what you were reading versus what your were your own thoughts. Like, what? How would you boil down? I would boil it down as this: the Torah says that, that a child shall not pay for the sins of the father. Yet it seems apparent that David is punished for his sin by having his son die. This would go against Torah. Oh, thank you. Or that the sin is, or, or that perhaps the idea that the re, that Juan has is that the son is dies because of David's sin. Right. Oh, okay. I, it took, sorry, I was a little slow on that. Oh, wow, now you're like up close. I'm sorry, I'm gonna pull it back. Give me just oh, a that's second. that's fine. That, that's all. I, it's, I it like. Didn't, it, it didn't I help. Your beard. Thank you. It did not help, though. It did not help. I'm still all blurry. Oh, this is annoying. Keep going. So, okay. what are your thoughts, man? Well, my thought is this: is what is? Uh, let me pull up that because what this is Second Samuel twelve, and let's see. We want to look at when the child dies, so that's going to be. Um. Let's see here. I love how prepared Rob is for our conversations here on Messiah Matters. Well, I, I was thinking First Samuel 15. <laughs> okay, so uh, okay, so I, we're going to have to read a bit here because all the way back. Uh, 12, why would we 16, have to read a bit? I just, I mean, I just read it. No, you read the commentary. No, I didn't. I just read the passages. You didn't read all the Second Samuel 12. Hang on, just a second, man. That they. David fasted. So I'm just, I won't read it all, but the key verses that I think are relevant 
Verse 16, David therefore inquired of God for the child. David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. Right. The the elder, so he, he is fasting, right? Right. Happened on the seventh day that the child died. So after seven days of fasting, the child dies. They were afraid to tell David. Okay. Um, there, David sees them whispering he knows something's up. They finally say, yes, he's dead. So then in verse 20, David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, came to the house of the Lord and worshiped. Okay. Then the servant says, why is he, what, what about this? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. When the child died, you arose and ate food. And so David gives his rationale in verse 22. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For he says, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and the child may live. In other words, David didn't know what the Lord's what the Lord was going to do. And he knew that he had sinned, but he, he didn't know what the Lord was going to do. He didn't presume to have that knowledge, but he, he, he was repentant and fasting. And, and God decided to, that the, the child would die. Okay. That's all David knows. David doesn't, it's just the child dies. And then the very next verse, actually two verses, 24 and 25, David comforted his wife Bathsheba, went and laid with her. She gave birth to a son, named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Okay, so now you have a child that has not even, was just born, hasn't, you know, the Lord loved him, sent a word through Nathan the prophet and named him Yedidiah for the Lord's sake. Okay, so you have two sons of David through Bathsheba, back to back, that are born. One dies, David moves on. The other uh, is born, and it says the Lord loves him. This is just it's it's simply a matter of election. We but it doesn't you're not it doesn't the seem scripture like scripture does not tell us the it, scripture in my reading, scripture doesn't tell us that the this other son died because of David's sin. We're not told that. Yeah, we are. Where are we told that? We're told that in first Samuel six uh in second Samuel eleven. He said uh it says Second Samuel oh, I'm 11. sorry, okay. sorry second Samuel twelve. Uh, he said, Nathan said to the, uh, to David, you are the man, thus says the Lord, I'm in verse 7, 12, 7, 2 Samuel 12, 7, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house, so on and so forth, and we, okay. Uh, he now, said the sword will not depart from your house, is that what you're talking about? Behold I, uh, behold, I will raise up evil against your house, and I will take your wives before your eyes. Neighbor, blah, blah, blah. Didn't see. Okay, Nathan, I have sinned. And, hmm. Uh, I, I utterly scorn the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Verse 14. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Yeah. Well, okay. I guess right there. So 14. So, so that's the, that's the core verse. Yeah. The way that um, I, okay. So, so the way that I understand this is, is, uh, it's, it's a little bit in depth. I, we, even I am the, even I use the verse in, uh, in the Ezekiel passage and in Deuteronomy, I've used it before, uh, for various things. Ultimately what those passages are talking about is within a court system. Um, uh, the, the child was not judged 
because of the father. Actions that the father took took uh, led to a consequence or led to something happening, which was the son died. But the point is, is that the son was not judged by God in terms of like eternal punishment. It, within the courtroom setting, the, the child did not take on the sin of the father. We, I think, what I think what is being missed here is that we assume that the death of the child is a punishment, and I don't see that. Well, I mean, the closest you'd get is that verse fourteen to say the child is dying for because of your sin, but I don't, I don't believe that's what it's saying. I, I, I agree the point that we made about the the fourfold restitution that that uh, there were four sons of David that die that you listed. There's this one that's unnamed. There's um, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah, is that it? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got them all right. I can um, and that, and, and I think that, that that can be a parallel. I think that that is, that is a true parallel of, of the cost. Uh, and so if you want to say, well, that's a consequence, but actually P, uh, Tony in the, in the chat room says it very well. He says the son dies on a, uh, as a consequence of the sin of the father, but the son is not judged for the sin of the father, period. I agree. And that's the point. I think that, that uh, there are things that uh, a person can do and the consequences of actions will bring about certain other events. But with well, that, we see that also in Samuel. We see David does a census when right. he's not supposed to. Right. And what happens, right? I mean, a whole bunch of people get wiped out. So, uh, I mean, do you want to say that's David's sin, that other people are dying because of David's sin? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a, we, I don't think it's a violation. I guess, I mean, it, I guess maybe what I'm wondering now that I, you know, that we've talked about it is the claim that scripture is contradicting itself? I believe so. Is that this like, oh, see, the Bible contradicts itself. I, I, but I don't know the tone of the, of the, or the intention of the, you know, the note that we got. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I would not say that this child died for the sins of the father in the, in the way that we talk about those other passages. Like you, like, uh, so like love, you point out. love is bigger says, if the son died for David's sin, then why didn't Abraham go through with the sacrifice of Isaac? I'm really confused on how we're correlating those two. Isaac was not being sacrificed for the sin of his son. Isaac was being sacrificed ultimately as a sign, right? And what does he say? Provide for himself a lamb. I actually think that that's. I think that that's at the Temple Mount. I think that they're at where the temple was eventually going to be laid. But but the point is not that. The point is is that uh, God says Abraham says God will provide for himself as a lamb. It has nothing to do with with uh, Abraham's sin. Anyway, okay. Let's... The sword the sword coming to David's house is a consequence of David's sin. I would say right. Yeah, and yes, we see, that, and we that see, is true. And we see but, this. Through, we see this throughout the scriptures, right? In fact, all of the prophets. What happens? This generation is exiled because of the things that the nation has done. Right. But this is but this is God's sovereign judgment, and so it it, it um, yeah it it's a, an interesting can, conversation. Can, but can, I, can, I would can, not. I, I'm hesitant. What I'm hesitant to do is. Is I don't believe Scripture is contradicting itself. No, and of so, course not. Kessler, so that's why I'm trying to be really careful of how what we're going to say 
Kessler in the chat room says, the son in no way paid for the sins of David. David said against against you alone, Lord, I have sinned. Exactly. In other words, it's a consequence, but it's not a payment. The child did not pay for David's sins. Right. Because if, I mean, well, if you were to push that and say, affirm it did, then then the other deaths of all the sons would have been extra. Right. If we we're going to use the, that fourfold restitution uh, judgment, which came out of David's own mouth um, as a as a kind of uh, prophetic uh, tale, if you will, or a prophetic picture of the sons of David that would die. But, yeah, it's All right, a, let's move on. Uh, do we want to move to, let's see here, which one's going to be the most fun? But just to, but just remember that, that one more last point, just to underscore that the very next verse is the son that is born to David and Bathsheba, Solomon, and it says the Lord loved him. And it's a, and it's a child. That is it. That's election. That, that too is election. That too is God's sovereignty because the baby hasn't done anything. The baby was just born. And yeah. it says the Lord loved him and gave him a special name, Jedediah. Yeah. Which is beloved of Yah, obviously. I, I, it's funny. Molinism gives a better understanding. No, I don't think it does. Actually, so, you know, back to that James White. I know that a lot of people haven't seen that. Back to the James White and the, and the William Lane Craig debate. Boy, I'll tell you, I don't think that James White did well in that, upholding the Calvinistic view. But with that said, William Lane Craig really uncovered some of the major issues with Molinism. That is that God is not sovereign in, in, in uh, the actions of the, of the world. Anyway, okay. Um, let's move on. Let's go to... I wonder how long this one's going to take. Let's do this one first because I think it could take a while. This is a long, uh, this is a long phone conversation or a long message. I clipped it and I clipped it from about four minutes down to a minute and forty nine seconds. That's longer than what we normally have for our uh, audio clips. That's okay. I'm going to open up a, a different window while I do this. Um, this is now. I this actually is a this is a great phone phone message because I don't want. I want, I think that there are people within our listener base that actually hold um, to, to, to this view. And uh, Brandon says he never, uh, said, he never said that laugh out loud. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. I went back and listened to it a bunch of times. What are we, I don't even know. The right. whole Molinism thing. Uh, well, uh, William Lane Craig really, really, I think he really made some missteps. But I think that it's the natural view of the Molinists. Anyway, okay. Let's, uh, okay. I, I'm going to leave that one alone. I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. Uh, so this is our, this is our phone conversation. Hello, Caleb. I heard you mention mm-hmm. the Trinity. Yes, he And did. I heard you also message, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Not all Christians are Trinitarians. Uh, I belong to a uh, a faith that believes in uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Okay, hang on just a second. I want to stop right here. You know, she belongs to a faith. Yeah. Is that what she said? Yes. And, and, and this actually for, you know, belong to a faith. When I I, I, try and understand that phrase. You, you you got it or what do you well, does it mean like wanna... i'm part of a religion is that like is that like my religion is that saying that 
I belong to a faith. Does that mean I'm part of a community that believes or I'm part of a religion? I mean, I, I guess I'm I just... take it as a denomination. Okay. So I'm a, okay. Thank you. I just needed that translated for me because I'm not used to hearing people say, I belong to a faith that, uh, because usually you belong to Messiah. Like in turn, if we're going to talk to belonging, there's, there's, there's no scriptural phrase. I belong to a, fra- a faith. And so I'm trying to understand it. Okay. So you're just saying it means I'm part of a denomination that believes. Yeah. But she, the interesting thing that I think she brings up is this, is is the is how we classify um, the term Christian, and the reason I say that is because you know my son is in the Boy Scouts, and uh, and we went to a meeting the other day, and it was at the Catholic Church, and he said, "So are they Christians like us?" Talking about the Catholics, and the answer is obviously yes, they're Christians like us. But but then this uh, phone message came in. It made me start to think like how do we like how do we want to whether or not it's the true definition or not. How do we want to define the term like Christian? Like it, it can it just be anyone who says that Jesus is the Messiah? <clears throat> and so I think that that's actually how it's used. And we see this within Mormonism because I wouldn't consider Mormons Christians biblical Christians. Well, no, Jesus says. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not do these all these things in your name and your name and your name three times? And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. So, right. yeah, you can have a lot of people claiming doing things in Jesus name. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't impress him. <laughs> sure. But that, but I guess my point is, is that at some point, does doctrine dictate the word Christian? Because predominantly, and if we consider Catholicism to be like the standard Christianity for, what, a thousand years almost, up until the Reformation, right? And even the Eastern Orthodox, they all affirm the Trinity, right? And so it seems to me that at some point, like the notion of Christianity, if if we were going to define it within, and this is totally off topic, by the way, this is not, anyway, if we were going to define it according to doctrine, I would think that Christian doctrine as a whole has accepted the Trinity for ever. I mean, since Paul, right? So, so now I'm not saying that we should we should try to define it. I, I'm not trying to say like these people can't call themselves Christians, but I just think it's an interesting concept that like okay, if we're going to use words like if we're going to use titles, then I think obviously the word Christian has to be an extremely broad title. In other words, anyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is then the uh, the a Christian, right? So, and I think that well, this but is, then what do you mean? What does the Messiah mean then? Too, I mean, you get into just a word wordsmithing, like wordsmithing. Mm, yes. Okay, let's keep going. Hero Smithers. Israel. <laughs> Hero Israel. Elohim is one, and so and we believe that wholeheartedly. So do I. I believe wholeheartedly that that Yod is one. There's not two gods. There's not three gods. There's one God. I wholeheartedly believe that. Uh, that is a big, big part of our, our belief. And also, we don't believe in baptizing in the Trinity, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But we believe what the Book of Acts teaches. It teaches on 238, and you shall be baptized. Okay, hang on just a second. Now, this is important. This is actually really important what she's saying here um, because I think it actually shows one of the core 
um, issues that I'm going to have with the denomination that she is talking about. She says, we don't baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And actually, she shouldn't say that. She says, we don't, we don't baptize in the Trinity. We baptize in the name of the Son. And now she's going to go to places within Scripture to show why she thinks that. But, I, but this is an important point, and it's an important point that we'll get to here in a, in a little bit. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But we believe what the book of Acts teaches. It teaches on 238, and ye shall be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then after that, after um, chapter 2, there's about eight, nine passages of people being baptized. And they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so I'm wondering what your take is on this. The name of our uh, faith organization is... Okay, hang on just a sec. Everybody in the chat room has said JW. Everybody says that they think that she's a JW. And when I say everybody, I think that there's there's been two or three people who have said JW. Um, but no, no, you got it wrong. That's not the flavor. Let's let's listen to the flavor. The organization is United Pentecostal Church. It's an apostolic Pentecostal Church. United Pentecostal Church. Uh, go ahead and Google that one real quick. I got an article for you, by the way. Here, I'll I'll post the article in the uh, in the chat room because I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be referencing it here in just a few seconds. I also believe in uh, being baptized in our Savior's name, and also being filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. More um, the newcomer is not only baptized, but it's also baptized with the fire. New Testament teaches because I haven't heard you mention. It, okay, now this is really an interesting topic and, and something I, I, I think, I mean, we could do two different two different sections here. So we're talking about the United Pentecostal Church, which denies the Trinity, and we'll talk about that. And then also she talks about being baptized with the fire. And I think, and now correct me if I am wrong here, but I think that what she's doing in the end of this is she's equating the... Uh, the speaking in tongues and the uh, being what, what many people would call being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think I could be wrong. I think that she's equating uh, being baptized in the fire with being baptized and speaking in tongues. So, so just listen to the end. Just keep that in mind as you listen to the end of this. Also baptized with the fire, New Testament teaches, because I haven't heard you mention anything about that. I've heard the Trinity mentioned, and of course, you already know that uh, we don't believe in uh, the Trinity, but we believe in the oneness of yod heh vav So, I, and I think that this is a common mis- misperception of those who reject the Trinity. Um, Trinitarians believe in the oneness of God. Now, I understand how she's trying to use that, but it is a mis- miscategorization to say that Trinitarians don't believe in the oneness of God. We believe in the oneness of God. So let's uh, let's go down a historical lane. This is from Got Questions, uh, and boy, oh boy, did they do a great number on this. Not only not only does uh, Got Questions do a good uh, a good retelling of the history of the Oneness Pentecostals, but it also you can tell that whoever's writing this is not happy about the Oneness Pentecostals. Uh, so I, I don't know how much of this should I read, Rob? You want you want to hear some of this or not? I don't know. I I just I mean my mind goes right. Does she deny the end of Matthew? I when she's that's what I I just don't understand. I I there's some language and I, and that I I'm just 
putting it out there. I don't understand. Like I belong to a faith that, and then the, we believe, but there's really, there's really one faith, right? I mean, there's, but yet she's saying, we believe in the Deuteronomy, uh, the Shema, but when it comes to Matthew 28, when, when Yeshua sends out the great commission, he sends out his disciples He's, yeah, on he mission, said, yeah, baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and of the Holy spirit. She's saying, I have none of that, which means that then there's no, there's nothing left. Well, ultimately I think what that does, because is it, any understanding of, of what's happening in acts is, is shown for us in, the great commission they're right. out being obedient to yeshua so there's no difference i mean you could look at at the times in in acts where it says sometimes it says baptize in the name of the lord jesus sometimes uh in jesus christ right in the english translations there's variation it's not like a formula and those i those are just shorthand for his authority and his authority is what informs his true apostles and his authority is given clearly in the end of Matthew. Go to all nations, everything I've instructed you to observe, right? Teach them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's that's the marching orders that defines the mission of all those guys in Acts. Right. You don't they're not getting commandments from someone else that says, oh, we don't listen to the, you know, that one, that one we find in Matthew, we have this other thing. Yeah, so so you actually bring well, up, well, a, you, you, to, you actually bring up a good point here is that it seems to me like what it, what the oneness Pentecostals want to do is they want to juxtapose scripture against scripture and say that one doesn't matter. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. So, so a couple of good comments here. Uh, Kessler once again comes in with the win. Uh, he says, <laughs> classic. <laughs> Classic modalism. It is classic modalism. The the oneness Pentecostals are modalists, and so if you don't know what modalism is, we'll talk about that in a second. <clears throat> and then uh, Love is Bigger asks a charismatic. Yeah, yes, very charismatic. Um, and so I think that I think that this this is the but time. The people who said JWs are there charismatic JWs? I don't know about I, that. I'm totally ignorant on this. I really don't know. I have no okay. clue. Because I I heard there's charismatic Catholics. Interesting. That would be that'd be interesting. Okay, yeah, let's anyway. let's let's read some of this. The roots of the United Pentecostal Church and what it is and what is known as oneness Pentecostalism. Boy, I can't talk. Can be traced back to the early days of the Pentecostal movement, which began in the early 1900s in Topeka, Kansas, based on the teachings of Charles Perham. In 1906, the Pentecostal movement gained popularity during the Azusa Street Revival led by William Seymour. While it, was, uh, while it was rejected by mainline Christian, uh, Christian denominations, the movement continued to grow and its, and its followers began to form their own Pentecostal organizations or denominations. One of the first was the Assemblies of God, which was formed around 1914. So that gives you a little bit of the backdrop. Okay, let's keep... I'm more familiar with that one. Yeah. The teaching that became the basis for the oneness Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostalism can be traced back to the Pentecostal camp meeting held in Arroyo Seco, California. I probably said that totally wrong. Either in the late 1913 or late or early 1914. While at the meeting, a Pentecostal pastor named John Shep, probably saying that wrong as well, had what he believed was a divine revelation from God. As he meditated that night, he believed God revealed to him that baptism must be done in the name of Jesus only. 
and not in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's stop right there. Now, <laughs> so the end of Matthew is wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God so, told me. So so the, the biggest problem, and you know, I don't want to put anybody down, and I, I want to try to do this respectfully, but the biggest problem that I see with this is the same problem that I have with, with Mormonism. Now that might sound really harsh, but the problem that I have with Mormonism is you have a you have a defined canon. The canon is already set. The canon is already closed. You have somebody come along who says, I had a vision or I have a feeling or whatever it may be. Now, personally, I believe that prophetic visions like that are extremely rare after, after the close of the canon. Um, and so, but we're not going to talk about that. Even if this guy had a prophetic vision, if it goes against scripture, we have to automatically say that the vision that he had was not of God. It was of a different spirit because it's gone against the word of God. And so what I see this vision doing is juxtaposing whatever, whoever this man was, he juxtaposes certain scriptures against scriptures. And that's exactly what we've just talked about. He is now, he's now trying to favor one reading that he has of the Acts passages over the uh, end of Matthew. And, And to me, that shows, ultimately that shows cult leadership because you're trying to overthrow the word of God. And uh, so, so th- that's the biggest problem that I would have thus far in, in reading this. Okay, uh, so it says, uh, actually they use the, the word quote right here. Like most cult leaders, his revelation, the new doctrine, quote unquote new doctrine that uh, did, com- did not come as a result of the careful study of scripture, but instead was based on a subjective revelation he believed to be from God. Soon after, several other assembly of God's pastors began teaching this new quote-unquote new revelation that would become the basis for the oneness Pentecostalism and Jesus' name only baptism. Uh, yeah, as the new movement gained followers, it caused a division in the newly formed assembly of, orga- of God organization, recognizing the unbiblical nature of this teaching. The Assemblies of God rejected this unbiblical doctrine and affirmed the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. At its fourth general council in October 1916, this led to the Assembly of God banning approximately 150 pastors from the denomination, those who had been teaching this unbiblical doctrine. A few months later, several oneness Pentecostal pastors met in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and started their own organization known as the General Assembly of the Apostolic Assemblies. That was the beginning of the Oneness Pentecostal movement. And eventually in 1945, two of the many Oneness Pentecostal organizations merged to form the United Pentecostal Church. So um, it's interesting because they go on to say that uh, they embrace modalism. And let's talk about modalism real quick. Uh, Modalism is a belief that... God shows up in different modes, uh, much like a man might be a uh, police officer by day and a uh, janitor by night. Uh, he might put on two different outfits to uh, perform. And he's a those, husband uh, and yeah, he's a, a husband, father. a husband and a father, and uh, so uh, he might have different outfits for these different roles. And that is basically what the modalists. I'm dumbing it down quite a bit, but. It's basically what the modalists say God has done. He shows up as the Holy Spirit. Um, for instance, in the burning bush, he shows up as the Father uh, in you know over all so- sovereign over all uh, the world, <clears throat> and then he uh, then he shows up as Yeshua, as Jesus to come and die on the cross for the sins of the elect. The problem that you have, uh, the 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 major problem that is pinpointed by many people especially when the the modalist debates are going on, is the notion that God would die on the cross. Was it a true death or not? 
for uh, to say that the that God did not actually die, that the son did not actually die, means that there was not an actual death. Which means, did it really pay for sin? If death is the payment for sin, did uh, did Christ actually die on the cross or not? And this is one of the reasons that, that Trinitarian doctrine says, you know, the Son and the and the Father and the Spirit, while being one, uh, operate independently of each other. And uh, Christ comes and He actually dies. He is actually put to death on the cross. He is actually dead. Now, to, for this to be able to happen, according to modalism, if the Father is the one who actually dies on the cross. Uh, then the entire world would cease to be if he actually died. So there's there's a huge problem with modalism when it comes to the the nature of sin and how sin is paid for. And so this is one of the reasons that I uh, thoroughly reject modalism. I, I don't believe that modalism works. I do admit wholeheartedly uh, that I don't think that humans can understand the nature of God fully and that we would even attempt to try to understand God with our with our human minds is, is I think almost laughable when we think of the infinite nature of God. Uh, I, I don't think that anyone can can describe uh, the nature of God fully. And I think that this is one of the reasons that we've gotten into the major debates over the Trinity. Uh, with that said, I think that it is clear from Scripture that God shows up as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They all work independently of each other, yet they are all God. They are one God. And I think that uh, it is apparent that uh, we are made in the image of God, that God is not in, made in the image of us. So we are going to uh, fall short when we attempt to understand this. However, I have said, I've given this analogy before and I'll give it again. Uh, I, I try to think of the uh, Trinity much like the ocean in the world. There is one ocean, yet we break them up into five. There can be a ginormous tsunami on the eastern coast of America and the west coast of America doesn't seem to be affected by it. Um, although if you didn't have the West Coast, you wouldn't have the East Coast. So it's all one uh, sea, it's all one ocean, and yet parts of it act uh, independently of itself. Okay, uh, do you want to say anything about that before we move on to the fire? fire. No, no, we're good, we're good. Yeah, I just, I think that we can't, we can't cut out the end of Matthew. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a super important well, and, and I think that that actually needs to be touched on. I think that any time that a person comes along and says that they have had revelation from God, what is the ruler and the standard by which we hold them accountable? It's the word of God. So if somebody comes along and says, hey, I had this revelation from God, and it is that for you to you know, divorce your wife and come follow me, guess what? That's, uh, that goes against scripture. So the answer right there should be no. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, do you want to talk about tongues and fire? Oh, yeah. What's what did, So she said that a new person who comes uh, gets baptized by fire. Is that what she said? Yeah, and I think that that is uh, be, meant as being... Speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, right. Anything yeah. on that or? <laughs> well, I, I mean, what, what's interesting, because I did a quick look, I, I don't think baptism in fire is something that occurs in Acts. Um, like if you go to, you know, if we're just looking at Acts, I mean, you have tongues of fire at, at Pentecost. Um, 
but that's it. There's no other mention in Acts of being baptized in fire. So if she took our attention to Acts, right, and and said there are many verses in Acts that that will help us understand her perspective. But then she sneaks this thing about fire in there, which I have to go outside of Acts to learn what she's talking about. So I'm I'm I don't know. I guess I I don't understand what what her faith the faith that she belongs to is I don't know what the appeal is or yeah, I I guess I just don't understand. Yeah, I think that we would need a little bit more understanding of what the actual teaching of that denomination is when it comes to baptism by fire. I mean, we could look at Matthew 3.11. John talks about the fact that Christ is going to come and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Acts 2.38 talks about being baptized with fire. For me, like if you want, if someone, if you were to ask, well, Rob, what do you think that means? Okay, which I don't know if she's, if, if I don't know if that's what she's asking. I think she assumes it means something. I don't think it means speaking in tongues. Right. I think it I think it means that that our works, if you're if you're a genuine disciple of Yeshua, you're going to be refined over your lifetime or in a parallel it doesn't have to be fire. It we, Yeshua teaches it in other ways. He teaches it in John 15 with the the he says I'm the vine, you're the branches, you're going to be fruitful. My my father will prune you and you'll be more fruitful. So that pruning is discipline from the Lord. That's where we are, our hearts are being refined by, by God, who is the tester of hearts and things that don't belong, things that offend his holiness, got to go. And that's a refinement that, that goes our whole life. Um, and that's the work of, of the Ruach HaKodesh. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification um so you know i yeah i i i think that the the notion uh so there's a lot going on here i think that the notion of of uh fire the imagery of fire many times within the scriptures is that of refining and uh the refining process and the notion of being baptized by the holy spirit in fire i think is a reference to being completely made new in other words the holy the holy spirit comes upon somebody and, and ultimately uh, comes into someone, right? And we are made new. That is, we are refined by the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's what that's talking about. Ultimately, though, um, the notion of speaking in tongues, and this is where I'm going to, this is where the chat room will probably, the chat room's already on fire today, by the way, but I think on this fire. is on, on uh, fire. But I think that this is uh, actually going to be uh, where I get in trouble. Um, hang on just a sec. I'm, I'm going to, uh, so I, I, Brandon in the room says, who's, he says, she's talking about Acts 8.15, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, then, so I believe that, that um, anyone who is converted to Christ, anyone who becomes a child of God is, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that we see this in Romans. Romans tells us that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not saved. And so the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. And so the, the in my opinion, yes, believers must be, uh, must be converted and must be filled with the Holy Spirit. I take a very different view of what that looks like compared to uh, those in the Pentecostal movement. The notion of speaking in tongues, I actually, what we think of in terms of the Pentecostal movement and speaking in tongues today, 
I believe that that is actually a integration of syncretism. I believe that pagan worship has has essentially pagan practice has made its way into biblical uh, practice as well, and they've been intermingled. Now that's going to tick a lot of people off, and the reason why is because a lot of people in the Torah movement have come from a, either the assemblies of God, but the Torah movement as a whole has has grown out of the Pentecostal movement. And I know a lot of people, good friends and acquaintances, and uh, people I highly respect including good scholars like Craig Keener and others who believe that they have had a speaking in tongues experience where they've had ecstatic speech and or they don't know what they're saying and it's a repetition and these kind of things is a spiritual language between them and God. I have no doubt at all that people who have had these experiences have had legitimate experiences and that they genuinely believe they are from God. I do not take that view. I take the view that uh, that emotions and that uh, experiences can be manipulated. And I think that uh, syncretism is something that the enemy loves. And the fact of the matter is, is when the Bible talks about speaking in tongues, what it's talking about is speaking in known languages, known languages. Now, I'm not suggesting that the people who have had these experiences are somehow worshiping the devil or, or that they are somehow uh, actually in, you know, possessed by a demon or that they are not true believers or any such thing. That is not what your I'm point, suggesting. Your point is that it functions in Acts at Shavuot or Pentecost to communicate to people, to humans. Like there are humans who are hearing this. right. And going, how do you like, oh my goodness, you're totally, I can hear, I totally understand what you're saying. How is it? How can this be? And that's how God gets the glory, right? Right. Because there's no, because you have two humans communicating and they're like, how the heck are we communicating with each other right now? Right. (laughs) And they're like, obviously, you know, we're from completely different parts of the world. And so they, they glorify God. And here, and and and, and let, let's get, let's take this a bit farther. Paul talks about this in First Corinthians. He talks about the the rules and the standards there are for speaking in tongues. He says that there has to be an interpreter, interpreter, and that it has to go. You have to go in order, right? So if you're going to if you're going to be speaking in tongues, what you have to do is people have to go in order, and there has to be an interpreter the whole time. I've never seen that. I've been to a lot of Pentecostal churches, and I attended a Assemblies of God church for over two years. You never saw an interpreter. I never saw an interpreter and I never saw people take turns. Everybody speaks at the same time. People, you know, in different the, and then they're speaking in different languages. They're or, speaking or I mean, in, I mean, they're not all speaking the same thing. Right. Exactly. And you know, I've seen, I've seen. So what is the spirit? So you're talking about people have experiences like in a, in a church like this, where everybody's um, uttering things that are non-English or non-native to whatever they're like speech that they, that is ecstatic speech, but they're all, like it's a chorus of people all speaking different things, but there's no interpreter. But people are leaving those services feeling, what do they, do they feel? Are you saying that that's, that they're the sense of edification that they get from that? Or that, what is it they, what do they take away when they leave the church service? Are they going, wow, like today I really, I really had a lot to say, or, or you know, I really was louder than it. Like, I don't know. Do what the, feel- I, so I don't know what the experience of speaking in tongues like that actually is like for people, because I personally have never done it. I've been in plenty of services I think where they, it's it, done. They must find it edifying or they wouldn't go back. Well, obviously, but the, but I think that the point is, is that, you know what? I mean, when we see things like the Benny Hinn services, uh, Rod Parsley, you know, all these different services of these quote unquote uh, faith healers. Now, I know that there are plenty of Pentecostals who would say, I don't know, he's a charlatan. Fair enough. I agree. 
But the, but the point is, is that what these guys are really good at is they're really good at stirring emotions. And I think that, that uh, we can place ourselves as humans. God has given us the ability to stir emotions. This happens, right. by the way, this happens not only in Christianity, this happens in many different religions. Emotions can be, can be used to really, and for good, by the way, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, that emotion is, is necessarily always bad. We need emotion within our religious services and we need emotion within our worship. There's no doubt about that. But the point is, is when you take something that is unbiblical or you take something that is not of God or you take something, and this is even worse, when you take something that is used in a different uh, religious practice to other gods and you say, we're going to use it for the worship of yod heh now you have a problem. You are never, ever going to uh, 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 glorify God by doing things that are sinful, ever. And to me, when you, when you're not, let's just take the average Pentecostal assemblies of God service where people are speaking in tongues. When you, when, when you take everybody speaking at the same time and you uh, don't have interpreters, that's sin because the Bible clearly says that you need both of those things. And so if you're in a service where that's going on, that's sinful. It's not, it's not of God. No matter how you feel about it, that is not of God. And so anytime that, that uh, somebody says to me, oh, I had this experience, I was in this huge crowd and we all started speaking in tongues. And I, you know, I know that it was of God. That's great that you know that it was of God. I would disagree with that. Unless you all went and turned and unless you had interpreters to tell exactly what was going on, that's not of God. And Love is Bigger says, they all thought that they were drunken acts. Yes, they did. And then what happens? That's not the end of the story. Because everybody started hearing in their own language. And that's the point. That's the point. Anything else on that? How many emails are we going to no, get? I, I, yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> you know, with, with like just in last night in, uh, in my Greek, first year Greek class, I was talking about this, you know, at the beginning of each chapter in Mounts's first year Greek, there's what's called an exegetical insight written by a guest, like an invited. Well, last night was Dr. Keener talking about the passage in Matthew. And it's a brilliant, I mean, it's just like a short, probably 800, 500, 800 word, little short snippet, maybe not even that, maybe 300 words of talking about how the importance of the Greek verb and understanding, particularly where it says, uh, you know, it's talking about the, what you bind on earth right. will be bound in heaven. Does that mean that on earth man makes a decision and then God has to, uh, God is bound by man's decision? Or does it mean God, uh, the, the elders of the church investigate a matter and they make a decision and that's, they're just agreeing with they're what's affirming. already right. true. Right. And he, he, he argues correctly, right. That it's, that, that it is, it's that what's being uh, discovered by the humans is what's already true in the heavens. It's not the, the other way around, even though tran there's many translations to get that wrong. So here we have Dr. Keener, who's making a very important and I, I believe accurate uh, interpretation of a disputed Bible verse. Right. <laughs> but then to have, and this is just last night. And then today we're, he's coming up in the conversation of, 
of this other issue that is very delicate. And I understand that. And so I, and I, don't get me wrong. I, just, I have to say I'm ignorant because I just it's in my limited experience of the world and, and in just the, the little pieces of the church that I've experienced in my lifetime, in my 50 years, <laughs> I just have not been in that environment. So it's it just it feels really uncomfortable to me. I don't understand it. And I, it's, it seems like I've, you know, cause it, someone in that circle, like this, this lady who left us this, you know, kind enough to call in, she might look at me and say, Rob, you've, you're not actually saved. Right. Right. I mean, her, it, I don't know for sure that she would say that, but I'm just saying an imaginary person of that, if they really believed that, that that's how you became a Christian, then I would be out of that group. So, so th- th- there's a couple of things in the chat room here. Uh, are you a secessionist? No, not uh, not in not strictly speaking. I believe that 99% of the gifts uh, ceased, but I would never put God in a box to say that that uh, people can't pr- uh, prophesy uh, today or that uh, speaking in tongues has gone away. And I do believe in speaking in tongues, and I believe in speaking in tongues today. I just don't think it's what the Pentecostal Church believes it is. I believe that speaking in tongues, I know people who have uh, related stories. Actually, Dr. Keener, and by the way, I highly, highly respect Dr. Keener. Uh, not only have I spent a significant amount of times in his in his commentaries and his, his work, I know him personally. I saw him at ETS just a, a, not even a month ago. Uh, I, I highly, highly respect him. Um, with that said, the, the, he's related stories before of people speaking in actual languages. They didn't know the language and they went and they gave the gospel to, you know, a tribe or whatever. And guess what? Everybody knew exactly what the guy was saying later come to find out he didn't realize that he was speaking in his language, but apparently everybody heard it in their, their native language. So I totally believe that. I absolutely, I I totally believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just to be clear. So, so to, to suggest, you know, when we talk about secessionism, the, uh, the idea is that all of the spiritual gifts ceased after the apostles. Once the apostles died, those gifts ceased. I don't necessarily believe that. I have my family sponsored Russian families to come here uh, during right during the persecution of the USSR back in the 80s, and right after that, they were trying to get their lives together. Some of the stories from those from those families that we sponsored are unbelievable, just unbelievable of the of the of God's grace and His mercy and the way that He led His people even through persecution. So I would never say that God, that God can't do those things or that those things, you know, God doesn't allow those things anymore. What I would say is that 99% of the time that we hear somebody say things like, you know, God gave me a prophetic vision or something like that need to be handled with extreme care, extreme care. Cause I, I think that a lot of the time people uh, misinterpret certain things to be uh, directly from God when they might not necessarily be. And I can give you plenty of, of occasions when people have said, God told me, or I had a vision from the Lord or whatever it may be. And they did things that turned out horrifically bad, poorly for them against counsel. They did things because they thought that God was telling them to do something. Guess what? Not good things happened. So, Okay. Now that we've upset a significant portion of our listener base, <laughs> let's, you know what, I'm, I'm more than happy to hear uh, from any of our listeners. And um, if, you, if you want to leave us a message, 
We'd be happy to interact with any messages that we get. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email. It's chegg at torresource.com. C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. I'm not sure if Torah Resource has written on anything in terms of tongues. If if Torah Resource has anything, it'd be from my father. Uh, Tim Hegg, you can um, go and, and search for tongues on TorahResource.com and uh, you might be able to find something. All right. Um, yeah, been fun. Hopefully within the next week, I'll get some more stuff done in here. Maybe I'll get some carpet and it'll stop bouncing as much. And maybe I'll get my, uh, my camera fixed so that uh, it doesn't look so blurry. I don't know what's going on there. All right. It'd just be a smudge. Yeah, well, that's kind of what it looks like, eh? All right, everybody, I will uh, I will say uh, goodbye, and Rob, to you, goodbye as well. We goodbye. hope We hope this conversation has done at least one thing, that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? Because Messiah matters. 